you've got to get to the core of the problem that you solve, how it's innovative, how you're doing it and no one else is. Build what you can't see and make sure that it's rooted in customer need. Hey everyone, this is Mary Grothy, founder and CEO. You're listening to the Revenue Radio Podcast brought to you by House of Revenue. Each week, we'll talk about common revenue challenges and how to get past them, share real world experiences, and get a glimpse into my life as a CEO scaling my own business. If you're a struggling entrepreneur or just an entrepreneur looking to be inspired, this podcast is for you. I'll give you honest, unfiltered, and practical insights into growing your business and getting past your revenue plateau. In searching for inspiration for today, I picked up the book Zero to One by Peter Thiel. And wow, I didn't even get through like the introduction. (laughs) I was already so inspired. And I'm going to read a couple of sections to you and then tell you what was present for me. And that's what we'll talk about today. The beginning of the book starts with every moment in business happens only once. The next Bill Gates will not build an operating system. The next Larry Page won't make a search engine. And the next Mark Zuckerberg won't create a social network. If you are copying these guys, you aren't learning from them. Of course, it's easier to copy a model than to make something new. Doing what we already know how to do takes the world from one to the next level, adding more of something familiar. But every time we create something new, we go from zero to one. The act of creation is singular as is the moment of creation, and the result is something fresh and strange. Until they invest in the difficult task of creating new things, American companies will fall in the future no matter how big their profits remain today. What happens when we've gained everything to be had from the fine-tuning, the old lines of business that we've inherited? Unlikely as it sounds, The answer threatens to be far worse than the crisis of 2008. Today's best practices lead to dead ends. The best paths are new and untried. Let me pause. As an entrepreneur, I have known for years that one of my favorite things to do is to create a new concept, a new path, a new way of doing things almost to a fault. It's quite difficult for me to do the same process over and over again. I think having sold for a Fortune 1000 company, I got frustrated. (laughs) They kept asking us to hit a bigger number than what we did the quarter before or year before, but the market was changing. The landscape was changing but the product and the way that we were going to market wasn't changing. I was very young when I started that career. I was 22 as a sales assistant and then 24 when I went into sales. I knew nothing about competitive landscape or the sales profession itself. I learned it that year. I was really eyes wide open to the opportunity and I did extremely well. But after three years in a sales role, 
I became fatigued. One of the reasons I left a really, really great career was because it became so hard to sell the product and service. The competition had leapfrogged the company I was selling for. Everything was so archaic, outdated. The user interface was very old. The technology wasn't there and the price hadn't gone down. Therefore, I was in the market trying to sell a product that was more expensive and worse than the competition. And there was no innovation on how to take it to market. No new verticals. In fact, they they started to take them away. So one pathway to market was by partnering with brokers and insurance brokers have great relationships with small and medium-sized businesses. Well, they took that away. They said the reps weren't able to partner with outside brokers anymore because the company I was selling for went into the business of insurance, health insurance, and they wouldn't let us partner with outside brokers. It's like, man, if you're taking away every way that we can be creative and you're not doing your part to make this a product that people actually want, you're asking your sales team to be magicians and do the impossible. I was pretty frustrated when I left. I was burnt out. I was frustrated. And I went to work for a startup. It was actually one of my clients. And all of a sudden, I went from the rigid, rigid boundaries, gates and boundaries of red tape, corporate red tape, to working with a startup that had no rules. Everything was on the table. (laughs) I was like, sure, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that. And that's where I learned what it meant when someone says it's harder to turn a big ship. It's much easier to turn a small ship. Shoot, a startup's like a jet ski. (laughs) You can go in a lot of different directions. I fell in love with startups. I fell in love with the fact that you can pivot and shift and change at the drop of a hat. That meant. I would be in charge of leading a sales and marketing strategy and execution, and I could immediately take feedback loop from the market and interpret it and then implement changes. It was life-giving to be with a startup. And all of a sudden, that fast-paced, high-energy, high-urgency side of me, well, it's pretty much all of me, found a home in startups. That startup I worked for, we were able to scale it. We quadrupled the size of the company in seven months and I left. I'm like, I have to do this again. And that's when I started my first company. And I remember meeting with entrepreneurs, these startup entrepreneurs who were already so stuck. They were so early stage and they were just stuck. They had already dug themselves into these deep trenches with a go-to-market strategy or the way that they had designed their brand or their product or service. And the first thing I would do is come in and evaluate, is this even something people want to (laughs) buy? There are a lot of visionary entrepreneurs that are very, very smart, but what they do is they build a product or service that they think the market wants but they don't do the testing to confirm the market wants it. 
So they raise money and they'll pour their life savings and their 401k, their mortgage, their whatever into making the company successful, but they never had a product or service that anyone wanted to buy. So it's crazy, right? But yet it's so common. Being able to go from zero to one versus the one to whatever next level I can't believe I'm half a page into this book and I'm already fired up and inspired to bring my thoughts on this topic for you. I want to take a moment and explain what goes on in my brain when I look at a business, when I look at their strategy. I see building blocks. I see a complete picture with a bunch of blocks And I look at all the variables and components of the business and I break it down so I can understand how it makes money, how it's constructed inside and out, how the product is, product or service is created, how it's delivered, the supply chain for that, all the delivery methods, the speed to delivery. I have to look at all the data because I love math, which is funny because I can't do it without a calculator. It's hilarious. Like I can't do the simplest math or multiplication on the spot. (laughs) But I mean, if I like was forced to, I'm sure I could do it well, but I've learned to, you know, use calculator, take some shortcuts in life. It's a lot easier, but I love the data and I love being able to break down to the tiniest piece of granular data that I can so that I can understand the actual inside and out of this company. So what is happening internally? And then what is happening in the external marketplace? Getting all the data points from a competitive analysis standpoint, but also from their customer. Oh, so many companies skip voice of the customer surveys, like go talk to your your customer. They're going to tell you better than anybody what they think about it and what it's missing or where you're winning. Being able to compile all that data is critical. And I am able to visualize the whole company. I can close my eyes and see all the variables inside and out, like in building blocks. And then it's like a very complex problem that I love staring at. And then I start challenging myself to solve it. So I will take all those building blocks mentally or usually with a whiteboard and I will break them all apart. And then my goal is to put them back together in a way that it's structured more profitably, better product or service, better go-to-market, better revenue infrastructure, better people in the right seats. That is fun for me. In fact, that's life for me is to be able to go back to the drawing board, literally, the whiteboard is my best friend, and be able to map out the vision. And in reading this front page of this book, Zero to One, it really made me see that I think the strategy here is to build what you can't see. Coupled with building something people want. what? Why is that important? Two things. It has to be rooted in customer need. So that's based on what someone wants. And if you want to have a quick pathway to winning, don't put yourself in a super saturated market. Figure out your positioning out of the gate. And that is done by building what you can't see, meaning innovating. Don't just build the same of what someone else has already built or many people have already built and then just say yours is better. 
You actually have to do something better, not just say it. Be be kind to your marketer. (laughs) Differentiate. Find the positioning. Find the wedge between you and the competition and create space for yourself in the market. And that's where your positioning comes from. I can't wait to read the rest of this book. I'm already inspired. I'll have to report back to you all when I get a little bit further into it. But here's what's present for me when I think about building something people can't see, coupled with building something people want. Guess what people can't see? The future, right? But do you know what can help tell the future? Leading indicators. Leading indicators will tell you what the lagging is going to be. Because of my desire when I first start working with a company is to dig as deep as I can with all the numbers and the data, the infrastructure, the competition, the voice of the customers, interviewing employees, like getting all the data points that I possibly can is because it's not what I see oftentimes. It's it's what I don't see. It's what's in between all of the data because obviously they wouldn't have me there if it was going well. <laughs> Let's be honest. So if everything is going well, then they may have built something already great that people want. But if I'm being brought in, it's usually because the company can't figure out how to scale. So I look at all those variables and I have to figure out what is not on the paper right now? What is not on the whiteboard? What is this company not done? What is the market not done? What are the competitors not done that the market is asking for, that the buyer is asking for? And it goes back to the voice of the customer surveys and understanding and doing primary market research and getting the competitive landscape, but truly understanding what is the need in the market, what is not currently being addressed in the market. But then it's also looking at leading indicators. Leading indicators can be a way to interpret the data and look at what it's telling you, not what you can see yet, but based on the data, where can this go? For me, one thing I like doing is reconstructing packages, if you will, like how a product or service is packaged before we determine how it's marketed. Like, what is the actual product or service? Do people actually like it? Do they actually get good results? By using it, consuming it, taking part in it, and having it. Because that's really important, right? (laughs) Hopefully that's why you're in business. But it's pretty shocking when you realize that not every young early stage company has an established feedback loop yet. I understand some companies are so early stage, they have like five customers. But still, even if you have one customer, you should have a feedback loop. You should also have a customer advisory board, whether they're customers or not. People in the market that are your prospective buyer or they are your buyer. And early on, you should have a customer advisory board. You should have people who look like your ideal customer sitting in a seat, giving you feedback and letting you into their world so that you can intimately understand what they want. Think about focus groups like the big toy companies out there. You know, they do these unbelievable focus groups with groups of kids. They build a bunch of prototypes and then they watch the kids play with them. And then they see what the kids want. And then they ask the kids what would make it better. Well, why do you think the toy companies do so well? And why aren't you doing that in your business? Where's your advisory board? 
where are the tinkerers, the people that can play in the sandbox of your technology and tell you what's missing? Where are the people that you want to offer a discounted option to be on your service to try it out so that you can get the feedback loop and understand if it's ready for market? Or do you just create a bunch of things and then put it to market and be like, well, I really hope they like it. Woo. Scary. Not on my watch. Not with my money. I wouldn't be doing that. I look back to the humble beginnings of our company, House of Revenue, back when it was Sales BQ. Three brave CEOs allowed me to be their fractional VP of sales. I had an idea. That's all that it was. But I had to test it. And I went to three brave CEOs that had a sales problem. And I said, look, pay me $3,000 a month and I'm going to work for you uh, about 15 hours a week, maybe 20. And I'm going to build up your sales department and I'm going to do this for two other companies at the same time. And I'm going to figure out what this fractional VP of sales thing looks like. When I entered the market four and a half years ago doing that, I knew that there it was just like scratching the surface. There was another fractional VP of sales company out there, Sales Acceleration. And then there was another one I learned about later, Sales QB, which was hilarious because we were Sales BQ. But I didn't know about those companies when I started. It was when I got my foot in the door and started testing it out. I'm like, okay, I think this thing has some legs. Let me do some market research and see what else is out there. A little bit backwards. I would, I should have done the market research first, but it doesn't matter. We obviously hit the ground running and had great success with it. But I just went for it. It was my hunch. I was like, we got to test this. So while I was doing it, I was doing market research and I was starting to understand the market and the competitive landscape to see if there was really anyone doing it quite like I was. And then I was in constant communication with my three early on customers, trying to understand what they liked and didn't like, what else they wanted to see or what they wanted to see less of, and to truly fine tuning it on how they wanted it and understanding what those success metrics were going to be. If we deem this a success six months from now, what needs to happen? Well, then I could back into it. It was an incredible journey the first few months. Till then, I finally felt comfortable. I'm like, all right, we got something. And some of the ways that I made it different was I embedded coaching, training, and consulting in one service. What I had found in the market, there were some very prominent, talented sales trainers out there where all they did was training. Then there were some very talented sales coaches out there where all they did was coaching, which is different than training. Then, of course, a huge industry in sales recruiting. And of course, another industry was sales consulting. But I was not finding somebody that did all three and did all three well. I guess you could say four because coaching and training are separate. So I went on a mission. And that's how we started to scale initially was with a new, fresh, creative idea, doing it a different way doing it a way that we didn't see that the market was doing it, but it was based on creating something new, but it was rooted in customer need. This is what those people wanted. And the price point was so low. We exploded with success. That's how we knew it was priced too low, (laughs) the wait list (laughs) to come on board. So we just started raising prices, raising prices, but I never wasted a moment. I never wasted one sentence of customer feedback to iterate and to improve. It was a constant feedback loop. 
And every time, not even just that came from them proactively, but I was seeing it. My team was seeing it. Every time we saw a better way to do something, we implemented it right away, right away. We would have sometimes 10 changes, like substantial changes in in a week or in a month. We moved at the speed of lightning. It was incredible how quickly we built the service offering of this company. I know it can take years for companies to build a product offering where they can reach more of a maturity product or service offering. And I'm so proud that we were able to do that by 2020, just just over two years in business. And we were able to launch the full model, which is what we've stayed with. And of course, there's been tweaks and changes and we've fine-tuned it but we haven't changed the core of the offering or the marketing messaging. And we continue to win. We continue to flourish. However, we're always looking for fine tuning in all of the steps of our process because the market is changing at a rapid pace and new technologies, new processes, new methodologies, new ways of going to market. And our team, we just constantly challenge ourselves on is there a better way? Is there a better way? Is there a better way? Just because this is the way that we did it last year with another company who is kind of like this, shouldn't we consider doing something a little bit different and innovative? Yes. The answer is always yes. So as I close today, the main thought here is build what you can't see. If you're building what you can already see, you're just copying someone else. It's not that you can't take some elements of what you're seeing in other models, but don't just carbon copy and then want to find one piece. Oh, we'll just do this one little part different, or we'll just say we're better, faster, better customer service. If your website says you have world-class customer service, you should probably change that. I'm sure you've got a thousand competitors that say the same thing. That's not differentiation. You've got to get to the core of the problem that you solve how it's innovative, how you're doing it and no one else is. Build what you can't see and make sure that it's rooted in customer need. Build what people are willing to spend money on to address or fix a problem in their lives. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're interested in being on our show or want to learn more about how we can help you scale your company, connect with us at houseofrevenue.com or with me, Mary Grothy, spelled G-R-O-T-H-E on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram.